The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With the weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Inglehart, racing's regular guy. All right, welcome back. So glad you're listening tonight as, uh, you know, we're celebrating the uh, holiday uh, season. So uh, from all of us at Winning Ponies, Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Merry Christmas, whatever you celebrate, we hope it's a good one. And we hope we're putting 2020 in the rear view mirror. Good news, though, it looks like Santa is going to be delivering the COVID-19 vaccine to one and all. I know it's going to take a while. Some of us won't be getting it until for months from now, but it's just nice to see a light at the end of the tunnel. And I hope that you all are are, are doing well. Uh, so uh, greetings from all of us here at Winning Ponies. Uh, still a lot of race action all over the place. And we try to help you with that with our analytics program called the Easy Win Forms. And uh, with with the Easy Win Forms, uh, we had a good – I'll just do the last couple of days, okay? Today, two hits at, uh, at Gulfstream. Uh, a $1 super high five that paid 3234 and a $1 super five that paid – 2877 and yesterday doing good in florida at tampa bay a one dollar super five key that paid over two thousand dollars so uh hope that some of you folks got in on on that action now our guest tonight are two like first time starters on this show but these guys are very well-versed and received in the television and radio uh, world that uh, we live in. And the first is uh, a gentleman you've become quite familiar with over the last, I think it's 21 years now, and that's none other than Todd Shrupp who's uh, kind of the, the quarterback at, at, at TVG. They, they use him as the point guard, uh, so to say. I know he's a, used to be a pretty good basketball player from what I understand. And, uh, but, you know, a lot of times he feeds it off to all the other talent. It's amazing how they've added talent uh, to TVG and the coverage that they have. And particularly now with the COVID thing and the quarantines and things, uh, especially when there were very few sports uh, it was early on back in you know uh, uh march april may uh when you know so many sports were not being played um they were right there with live action and they kept it going and i noticed a little bit of a skew towards a little more education bringing along some of the neophytes that may have been watching so uh I want to talk to Todd about that because I got to think that it was a conscious decision uh, on the folks at TVG to take a little bit of a, uh, a turn in their presentation and letting people know what an exacta is, what a pick three is, and kind of doing a little hand holding uh, for for the new viewers. Uh, I sensed it. Maybe that's not the fact, but Todd Shrupp 
will set us straight on that. You've certainly become familiar with him over the years if you've been watching TVG. The second gentleman uh, is... He's a friend of mine going back a long time, and now he is a national radio show host on Fox Radio. His name is Andy Furman. Now, Andy, he's been called a lot of things over the years. First of all, he talks about all sports, but he was involved in horse racing for a good chunk of his life as a a public relations director. He started out as a sports information director in uh, uh, doing a couple different colleges. And uh, when I met him, he was the PR guy at Latonia uh, because he got a job with Delaware North. So they used to use uh, Andy and they would send him from track to track as they would open to get the PR going and to come up with promotions. Well, Andy came up with promotions that there's no way he would get away with in this day and age. Uh, but his motto was, it is better to seek forgiveness than permission. And he certainly pulled some doozies, but he pulled some big ones and uh, had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, Andy brought a lot of joy to people's faces in racing. He made it a fun place to be. So we're going to talk to him about his racing days and also now how uh, he views the sports uh on national radio, what about the coverage of racing? Uh, do they go out of their way to cover us? Uh, is, are they taking the time to keep an eye on the sport that uh, he once spent his whole life promoting? So we'll find that out from none other than the furball, Andy Furman. All right, this next section of the show is going to sound like uh, I'm uh, reading obituaries, but you need to know about these people if, if you don't. Just got news today. That Billy Johnson, who was a guest on this show many times, uh, uh, passed away. Uh, this guy was larger than life, uh, a great handicapper. Uh, his brother, Gary Johnson, uh, has been on this show numerous times, uh, leading trainer at Thistledown. And uh, Billy liked to get around. He, he liked wrestling. He liked uh, go, going to Vegas. Uh, but the main thing he liked was winning races with his riders and he has always had good ones and once he got a rider he was usually in the top two at whatever track he was riding at but the best known is none other than Deshaun Parker who's had just an outstanding career and he and Billy teamed up two times to win the national riding title so uh, I, I know Billy had friends uh, all over the place and uh, really sorry to see uh, his jolly face uh, no longer with us. So uh, condolences to uh, the Johnson family. Uh, an another uh, individual that uh, served in many capacities in, in racing that, that, that passed away recently is a guy by the name of Felix Chavez. Now, if you're from out in the western area, uh, he rode at Santa Fe, Albuquerque, uh, Sunland, and, uh, you know, uh, Turf Paradise, Centennial. Uh, now, I, I've got a photo of Felix riding a horse by the name of Little Beaver at a bush track. He won the race. He was 12 years old. Uh, so he also, I know at one time, uh, was uh, got to exercise swaps 
the, the it was a long train ride and they stopped somewhere i'm going to say in new mexico and you know, wanted to let the horse rest for a day or two and uh the trainer was looking around going well who's competent here and i said put put chavez up he'll do whatever you say and uh so and that a, after he retired from being a jockey he became a trainer um, he trained on the Northern Kentucky, Southern Ohio circuit for the most part, uh, trained a couple state champions and, uh, his wife at the time was Penny Gardner. And, uh, uh, at some point in time after having two children, they split up, but Penny is now one of Bill Mott's assistants and a regular exercise rider, uh, for Bill Mott. Now the two sons, uh, Casey and Mark, Mark came along first and was the leading apprentice at, at River Downs, very talented, but I had a lot of people whispering in my ear going, hey, you think Mark's good? Where do you see his little brother come up? His uh, brother's name was Casey, and uh, uh, Casey went on to become the leading apprentice at, at River Downs, and uh, now he is uh, riding on that same kind of New Mexico circuit that his parents uh, started out on, but just uh, great people. Then after Felix, you know, was Getting to the point where we want to retire from training, um, I got called into the general manager's office going, hey, we got to get rid of this clerk of scales. He is ticking everybody off. I said, got the guy for you, Felix Chavez. So then Felix was the clerk of scales. And then after he retired from that, he was kind of the HBPA greeter, uh, some tracks. And uh, so sad to see him go great family. I've remained friends with, uh, with, with Penny and, and Mark and Casey uh, throughout their life. As a matter of fact, I was talking with Casey today. So uh, sorry to see uh, uh, Felix go. Now, uh, one that's a little more national was uh, Illinois trainer uh, 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 Rob, Roger Bergman, and they say that he's being hospitalized uh, due to COVID, according to his family and friends. He's 75 years old, born on my uh, birthday, same day, not same year, uh, September 6th, and... Uh, Came a trainer in 1988. Now, you'll uh, know him best for him. Uh, he saddled his first graded stakes winner, son of English Channel, called the Pizza Man. Yes, an Illinois bred. And uh, he teamed up with Florent Giroux for many big wins, the Stars and Stripes. And then uh, he also came up with Work All Week, who won his first three races of the year, and then went on to win the uh, Breeders' Cup World Championship in the Express Bet Breeders' Cup Sprint. So a very successful career. Uh, and what's interesting is both horses are now retired at Old Friends Farm. So again, Pizza Man, the only Illinois bred to win the Arlington Million. You can go down and see him at Old Friends Farm. Uh, and speaking of Old Friends, more news. Awesome again has passed away at the age of 26. He won the Breeders' Cup Classic, uh, and uh, <clears throat> the uh, he died suddenly at Tuesday. Became a top sire too. So uh, awesome again. Uh, we could go on and on with his resume, but the, the show isn't that long. But uh, he, he was just a, a phenomenal sire. I uh, retired from racing with earnings of $4.3 million. And that was a little bit before some of the bigger, bigger purses that we have now. So um, awesome again. 
Uh, I'm sure that Michael Blowen's uh, very sad to see him go, but Tom's ready. Came in the front gate shortly after. Three-time graded stakes winner, seven-year-old, trained by Dallas Stewart for Gail and Tom Benson's GMB Racing. You go down and see that. And Curtis Cody's kicking in to help the people at Old Friends since they were limited to their tours due to COVID-19. He's got a great calendar out. It's uh, pretty much uh, dedicated to authentic, but 25% of everything that Cody makes uh, will go to Old Friends. Well, this horse wasn't standing at, uh, wasn't living at uh, Old Friends, but Tapazar, who was getting ready to be shipped to Japan, uh, was uh, euthanized after an accident in his stall, and that was Tuesday night. You may recall he was trained by Steve Asmussen. Uh, he won six of his 14 races, uh, topped by the Grade 1 Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile and Grade 2 San Fernando Stakes. Uh, he had stood at Gainesway uh, when he first retired, and uh, it, did very well. So uh, he's, he's another one that we lost. Uh, real quick, while well, I got a few minutes or minute, um, take a look. I want to thank Eric Wing for joining us from Horse Tourneys last week. Um, handicapped uh, the races down at Gulfstream. The grade two Fort Lauderdale was the granddaddy of the day. And uh, the winner in there, well, what happened is the two favorites on the outside, number one, they had bad post, and number two, they both had early speed, so <clears throat> they were sent out of there, and factor this, and Halliday kind of spent themselves on the front end, and uh, so it was uh, 21 morning line shot Largent, who really, I know he's a Virginia bred, but he's by Into Mischief, trained by Todd Pletcher, has never finished worse than second. Uh, now in nine starts. So uh, Largent, four-year-old gelding, might be around for a while. And in second was Eric's long shot pick, Doswell, who went off at really good odds. Um, coming up on, on uh, let's see how many races we can get in in the time allowed. Not many. We'll just do one more uh, named after the greatest Ohio bred that ever lived, and that is the Harlan's Holiday. <clears throat> and the winner off of two starts, hadn't hit the board in uh, 2020. He had a beautiful ride from Luis Saez. That was tax. Very patient ride. Went to the front and just nursed him all the way. Eye of a Jedi was second. And Fat Man, one of the favorites, was third. All right, I'm going to cut off the results there. That's past history. But what is coming up, something I've really been looking forward to, and that's a chance to sit down and talk with one of the most recognized guys on television, none other than Todd Shrupp. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. <clears throat> Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. 
Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full fields with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart, racing's regular guy. The phone lines are open and are toll free. 1-866-472-5788 or send us an email at show at winningponies.com John and our guests are looking forward to hearing from you. Have any tips or comments you'd like to share? Any questions we would be happy to answer? Contact us. Now, back to the show. Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. All right, and with me now, a very familiar face to you. You know, if there was any positive that came out of the pandemic, it's the fact that more eyes than ever were turned into racing on television. And the guy who we call the Walter Cronkite of racing uh, put the presentation on air. That is none other than Todd Shrupp, who's been riding the waves for, I think, 21 years now. Correct me if I'm wrong. You nailed it. And I, I have to say, I, I can't believe we haven't had a conversation like this before then. Um, and, and I have to say, my admiration for you goes back well before I was at uh, Canterbury. And uh, I, I was actually, it was back at Calder Racecourse in South Florida. And I was doing simulcast from 1992 to 1999. And uh, I would watch your show. And, and there was something about before going to TVT, the only opportunities, essentially, except for maybe ESPN and some of the races they covered, but the opportunity to cover racing on TV was through the simulcast network. So I had my own thing going on in South Florida I called the race course, but I was always very in tune to what you were doing because I felt that uh, you did a phenomenal job. And what I've always loved about your presentation of horse racing is that you've never forgot that it's fun. It's entertainment. And, it's, it, and while we can be serious as handicappers, um, there's that camaraderie amongst fellow horse players that I think is, is what has always fascinated me about horse racing and why I've made it a career for 30 years. So you've been one of my favorites going back a long time. And so uh, I'm so happy to be here with you. Well, 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 thank you. You know, it's funny you said what you said because it was all the brainchild of a guy by the name of Kerry Charlson, who's well-known in television production, particularly in the early years. And we were at a Reds game. He goes, you know what racing needs? That they just need like, to, you know, instead of somebody dressed up in a suit with a microphone in the paddock, they just need to spend a day with a regular guy at the track and get to learn about the races. And so, so much of what we did, particularly the overhead projector, because uh, I was the old, hey, give a guy a fish he eats today or teach him how to fish and he got a fan <laughs> for life. And we would use the overhead projector. So as I was talking about buyer numbers or, you know, uh, trainer stats, I could show people. Here's where you go to get it. If you buy a racing form, you know, I'm not making these things up. They're right there. And, and, and so that was one of the things that uh, inspired me to call you tonight. But we're, we're going to talk about that in, in a few minutes. What I want to let people know is who is Todd Shrupp and how did he get here? 
he is somebody who loves horse racing and was a fan first and is still a fan to this day. Um, I get emotional kind of thinking about the journey because for me, it started when my dad was uh, in the Marine Corps. And so the first track I ever remember was going to Del Mar. And we took the bus from Camp Pendleton where he was stationed. And I don't remember much from when I was seven, but I do remember this. I remember being on the infield at Del Mar and there was this guy. He was just cheering wildly and he kept yelling, come on, pirate, come on, pirate. And for those who don't know Del Mar very well. There's an infield, obviously. There's a playground for kids, but you can get it pretty close to the turf course and watch the races. And so this guy was cheering the Pirate. I didn't know at the time, because I'm only seven, he was cheering Lafitte Pinkai. The reason I bring this up is because through a number of events, from my first job at the racetrack at Canterbury to then working at Calder Racecourse for seven years in Miami, I get this opportunity at TVG, and it's in 1999. And the first big event that we cover is Lafitte Pinkai breaking Bill Shoemaker's mark for all-time wins. Of course, that's been broken by Russell Bay since that time, but it was the first big opportunity we had at TVG to kind of show a national audience what we were capable of because the general sporting world was tuning in for that. So for me to be there in that moment, to come full circle from the time I was seven, remembering this guy cheering Lafitte Pinkai and then covering Lafitte Pinkai in this moment and being there with Bill Shoemaker, who was in the wheelchair at the time and was also one of the greatest sporting gestures I've ever seen. Bill Shoemaker posted up there because Lafitte Pinkai was a good friend until he broke the record. It was difficult uh, for Bill Shoemaker under those circumstances in a wheelchair. And so to be around the people that I've grown up and admired as a horse player. Um, I, I just feel beyond fortunate to have the job that I have. But the one thing that I hope always comes across whenever I'm on air at TVG is that I'm a fan first. I, I, if I didn't get a job in horse racing, I'd be following horse racing every single day. I love it. Uh, I remember uh, one of those trips when I was very young to Del Mar, um, you know, you wouldn't do this this day, and I'm not sure why my dad did this, but he on, on one of the bus rides over, there was just an older lady and her daughter who took an interest in me, and as we got to the track, my dad's like, would you like to take him? <laughs> so I went around with them the whole day at the races, and at the end of the day, she brought me this pair of goggles, and she said, this is signed by Bill Shoemaker. Wow. I still have them to this day. So what's been great about the experiences is all the people I met, people like yourself, um, people that I've admired, either professionally like yourself or the jockeys, whereas most kids grew up admiring baseball players and football players. I've loved jockeys. I've loved horses. Yes. I've loved trainers. I've loved the sport of horse racing. And so that's who I am. I'm a horse player at heart. And um, uh, I love I love the camaraderie that we get to have at the racetrack. And it's, it's something I miss right now uh, during COVID. I'm, I'm very fortunate to go – to the racetrack right now and, and bring racing to people in their homes. But to me, the greatest selling point for TVG and becoming an account holder or, or following us on the network is to actually go to the races. Cause that's what our mission statement was supposed to be uh, during the beginning of this to this day to create new fans. So to me, the on track experience always trumps uh, anything we could ever do. And um, that's what I want to bring to the horse player. And I love what you said about, you know, why not a regular guy just talking the races? I feel that's what I want my show to be when I'm on the air for three and a half or four hours. I want it to be a conversation. And what I loved about your show and what you do on this one 
is that we don't all have to agree. Um, to me, the most boring shows are the ones where uh, someone makes a selection and it's like, oh, that's a very good pick, John. Well, no, I don't always agree <laughs> that it's a very good pick, John. I have some questions about why you might have picked that horse. Um, so I, I hope when people tune in, they'll see someone who loves horse racing, is a fan. I've been accused of being a cheerleader before. Um, and I think that's 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 a great uh, critique, and it's also a compliment at the same time because I want to see our sport succeed. Um, but I also want it to be an entertaining show where if someone put a camera on you and I a day at the races, what would they find? Um, and what would they hear? We'd be talking about the upcoming race, and then maybe we'd drift to talking about a movie we'd seen or a song that we liked. You know, people have varied interests at the track, and so I always want my show that I'm doing on TVG to be the regular guy broadcast, much like what you've been doing in the sport. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't briefly mention this one individual that we have a mutual friend that I didn't realize until I did a deep dive on some of your bio. Uh, I used to work at the fairgrounds and I was the PR guy. And uh, of course, at the time, our uh, announcer was none other than Tony Bentley and when Tony, <laughs> when Tony Bentley found out that I wasn't shy about the microphone because I used to work with Kevin Gomer who was once the voice of Chicago yeah. racing uh, he started at River Downs um, he would always you know hey John I'm you know I, I put the horses on the track for me so once Bentley found out I could do that well shit he never showed up to work on time. <laughs> I had to do what? all the changes I had to do the horses for the first post parade and I'd be looking over my shoulder going come on Tony I want to hear your feet coming up the steps <laughs> you know he, we, he was a blast a, to work we, with and I understand oh, we, he was we, a critical part of you you know continuing in the sport Oh, simply put, I don't I don't have a career without Tony Bentley. And look, the list goes on as you, as you're around longer in the sport. There's a longer list of people that you're grateful to, uh, but I do not have a career without Tony Bentley. And my experiences with him are very similar to what you just brought up. For those who didn't know, Tony Bentley was not just a racetrack announcer; he's also a character actor. So he loves um, being on the stage. He's been on the big screen in a number of roles. He's a gourmet chef. Um, he's also been a high-end waiter at high-end restaurants in New Orleans. He was a uh, tennis teacher. He went and taught yes. tennis at um, <laughs> so so the Canterbury Downs was the first track that I was I started working at, and so I worked customer service. So I would answer questions like, "Where's the bathroom? Where do I buy a taco?" And I wore this red jacket throughout the day. And the most fascinating people that I really wanted to talk to were the people who wanted to come up and learn how to read past performances, because that's what I was learning and that was getting into, and horse racing was doing Minnesota. But as I started to grow in my position at Canterbury, um, they made me the backup track announcer. So I was under the tutelage of Tony. And so it, of all the things I've done, I have no problem going on in front of the camera. I, I, never, I very rarely get nervous. If it's a big broadcast, I get a little bit more amped. But whereas some people might get real nervous in front of the camera, um, of all the things I've ever done, I love public speaking. I love being in, in front of as many people as you want to put me in front of. Um, so I like that live format. I like television. But there was something about calling the races where my my binoculars would literally shake. <laughs> and I don't know what it is to this day. And I thought I called a pretty good race. But Tony taught me how to call the races, but it was only in the unlikely event that he wouldn't make it. Well, one time he was late after playing tennis 
and the first race was coming up. It was just like you said. And all of a sudden I get a call and he's like, boy wonder. He called me boy wonder. He's like, cause I was a teenager <laughs> at the time. He's like, boy wonder. I'm like, yes, Tony. He's like, uh, yeah, the uh, Bloomington uh, bridge is a little backed up. I'm not going to make it for the first race. You're on. <laughs> I was like, oh my go. gosh, I'm going to call a race. So I'm this teenager. I get to call a race. And uh, through that connection with Tony, I learned kind of my levity with horse racing. He also gave me the, he also gave me the harshest advice, and and it was this: Canterbury was was struggling at the time financially, and my position was very tentative because I was just starting out, and I knew it was about to be eliminated. And I said, Tony, what am I going to do? I mean, I've put everything into this job. I've been here about five years, um, and I love horse racing. And he goes, Get out! I'm like, what do you mean? You get out because this industry makes its living off young men like you who will work for low wages because you quote unquote love horse racing. And I was like, I was stunned. I, I was waiting for that encouragement. <laughs> and I just, I looked at him and I'm like, I understand what you're saying, but this is the career path I want to be on. And to show you what Tony Bentley was like that winter when I had no options, and I'm like, what am I going to do? It was the worst winter in Minnesota. I'd seen it forever. A phone call came. I was living with my parents. And he said, I have a friend in South Florida. His name is Ken Dunn. He's the president and general manager of Calder Racecourse in South Florida. Tony Kovic, who's the paddock guy down there, is leaving. And would you like to audition? And I tried to play it cool. I'm like, yeah, no problem. I guess I could find time to fly to Florida. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I As nailed you ran the audition. The airport. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I nailed the audition. I got hired at Call the Race Course, and I can say from 1992 to 1999, it was very sad when Call the Race Course uh, went off and to uh, it didn't exist after after a month ago. Um, I had some of my best years down there, and it really every experience you have along the way helps you in your job. But those seven years at Call the Race Course really really shaped who I wanted to be. And, you know, that's why I always admired what you were doing on the Simulcast Network, because I was trying to do something similar. I was trying to do something a little bit different and show my personality. And it was interesting. Early on, there were some people who just absolutely hated it. Um, I would stand under this tree out at Calder Race Course in the paddock, and you just have the state, state camera. It was almost like a security camera. It would just move side to side. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to climb up in the tree and do this next race. I just tried to do different stuff, and I took over the replay show. And there were some people who just despised it. They had to have it a certain way, and I understood that. But I kind of learned this lesson early on. Is that like you're going to have a lot of hits and misses along the way, but you got to believe in what you're doing. And it helped me because when I first went to TVG, there was actually a consensus amongst uh, racing writers, and that was we were terrible and I was, I was as bad as anybody. <laughs> and so for the first two years in, in California, I didn't completely unpack. I, I thought I was going back to Florida, but it was that, that early kind of, you know, for lack of a better cliche trial by fire where I met some criticism and dealt with it down in South Florida and then kind of found my comfort zone. People got me and I got the job. Um, I, I was able to kind of make my way through the first couple of years because I will say I've never faced criticism like I did the first couple of years of TVG. And on top of that, we were going through a situation where we didn't know the business was even going to last. Um, there were so many headwinds those first couple of years that sometimes I have to remind myself of that because um, we've you know become part of this global company 
that uh, has has taken us to another level. But um, the lessons I learned at Call the Race Course I take with me for life, and um, they really helped me through my first couple of years at TVG. Well, Todd, I, I'm up against it here, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, because I've, I've been doing watching a lot of TVG. I actually had to quarantine for a couple of weeks, and um, <clears throat> I, I, I started noticing a few months ago that it seems like you and, and many of the other uh, uh, hosts and handicappers seem to be taking a concerted effort, knowing that there are more new eyes on your product than ever, and you seem to use that as a teaching moment. Am I correct, or is I'm reading into that wrong? Well, you're as as always, you're very intuitive. I, I wish both of us could pick courses the way you came up with that. Um, Two thousand percent right. But you, I, I guess I would say this to people is that TVG is, is going back to its roots. A lot of people, there are still some people who have been with us since the beginning of 1999, but when we first launched, it was a huge deal just to have odds. The whole premise of TVG was on the on-air presentation, you'd have a horse racing person like myself, and then you'd have a person who is just a television personality, like, say, Chris Harrison, who eventually went to um, Beyond the Bachelor, <laughs> um, of all things. But the idea was the non-horse racing person would ask the basic question that maybe the novice at home was thinking about. And so I'll never forget early on, there was a huge decision we had to make, and that was, are we going to put up exacto probables? So TVG always at its core was about bringing in new fans and and taking a very complicated sport and uh, giving some knowledge each and every day for people to build on. There are some longtime horse players who they find it irritating when we explain what Lasix is, but I've never understood that because I think sometimes, you know, you look at the presentation of football now and it's gotten so sophisticated. I think I know a lot about football, but I can't get into, um, you know, the mechanics of the nickel package and everything else that some of the analysts do. So I think our sport has to always be open to that. I made my way in horse racing through fan education by working in a customer service booth and talking to groups and teaching them about the sport. You've done the same thing. And that's, that's a long-term benefit. You don't see the immediate impact of that, but I just know and people that I've talked to over the years, Hey, I met you many years ago and you taught me something. I've stayed with the sport. That to me is the greatest accomplishment and the greatest compliment. So TVG has brought it back to that because we realize there are, more novices tuning in, and that's a good thing for the sport. Um, so I hope those people who are around it every day will, you know, just give us that understanding and let us continue to talk to the audience that way. Does it? You know, I try to talk to everybody at every level, but I'm glad you noticed that that's that's a concerted effort. Absolutely. Uh, well, listen, Todd, we got to have a part two of this interview because you just oh, got wait too much uh, to, to, to discuss and talk about and really educate people about the, the, the evolution of TVG and all the great uh, uh, you know players you've got around you as far as the on-air staff. I mean, it, it's just it's grown exponentially over the years. And, man, you've got some good people. But like I said, you, you kind of seem to be quarterback in the thing most of the time when I watch you. Not hogging the screen, but you're just kind of setting up the next person and throw it to you. you you've done a great job. And uh, I thank you so much for spending the time with us. Hey, I, I, I wish you the, the best over the Christmas season for you and, and, and your family. And uh, we'll be watching you this weekend, my friend. 
John, stay safe and healthy, and I look forward to speaking to you again. And thank you so much for representing our sport. You do an amazing job. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, Todd Shrupp, I didn't know even know who the hell I was, but uh, I guess he must have been bored and watched a lot of the regular guy. Anyhow, speaking of a guy that's not regular, his name would be Andy Furman. And uh, I don't mean he's insane, but he's just not regular. Uh, and uh, so we're, he right now, you know, he's he's a, a Fox Sports host. Uh, but this is the first time I've had the chance to have him on the show. So we're going to take a quick break. And we come back, we're going to be talking to the Furball. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the Easy Win Form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full fields with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Inglehart, racing's regular guy. The phone lines are open and are toll-free, 1-866-472-5788, or send us an email at show at winningponies.com. John and our guests are looking forward to hearing from you. Have any tips or comments you'd like to share? Any questions we would be happy to answer? Contact us. Now, back to the show. Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. All right. Well, we just, we just listened to Todd Shruff from TVG, and he says he thinks it's most important that we continue to keep fun and racing, that, that we let people know in order to have them come to us, that you don't have to be some, you know, Einstein of handicap, and you just go to the racetrack and have fun. Well, nobody I know has ever brought more fun to the races than the gentleman we're about to speak to now. Andy Furman, my friend, how are you? Well, thank you for having me. You mentioned fun, you know, also to go along with fun is trouble, you know what I'm saying? But trouble is good sometimes. It really is. And I got myself in a lot of trouble. So, you know, I did have fun. I never considered it working, but 
really, the day I got hired at a racetrack, I didn't know the front end of a horse from the back end, but I just wanted to have fun. Well, you know, I, you were the first guy I heard the quote, I, I'd rather seek permission than forgiveness, because you pulled off a lot of stuff that I don't even know if management knew about it. You know, it, it's funny. I think that when you're young, you're young and foolish and you take risks. I wasn't married. I didn't have a house and have kids. So you just go for it. When you're a little older, you kind of push back a little bit. So wait, wait a minute. I got a mortgage coming up. I'm not doing this. But I mean, it was all, anything went when I was there. I mean, and I worked at Latonia Race Course. I worked at Buffalo Race. I worked at Harness. I worked at Greyhound. I went all over the place. But I was very lucky, John, and I'll tell you why. I worked for a wonderful company, Delaware North Companies, based out of Buffalo, New York, sports service. And I knew that I was somewhat of a, what I call in, in Yiddish, a tumula. That means a guy that makes a lot of noise, a lot of waves. But I would never get fired. I'd always get transferred because I owned so many facilities. And that's what they did. <laughs> they sent me from one place to another. They sent me to Buffalo Raceway. They sent me to Lakes Region, Greyhound Park in New Hampshire. They sent me to Southland, Greyhound Park. In West Memphis, Arkansas, I went to Northfield Park out of Cleveland, and I ended up at Latonia Racecourse. I was even at Centennial Park in Littleton, Colorado. Unbelievable. Now, it, it, correct me on this one, because I've heard so many stories of promotions that you did. At Buffalo Raceway, did you actually present a Polish night at the races? You know, I'm going to clear this matter up right here and now, okay? And let me tell you about the term promotions. To me, to me, one that has to get involved in promotions is, is desperate. Because every racetrack that I worked with was on its last leg. A, they never would have hired me if they weren't on their last leg. And B, they wanted to do promotional opportunities to get asses and seats, and that's what I did. So I worked at Buffalo Raceway. And I figured, like, uh, it's great to get maybe ethnic nights, it's a great way to get people into the park, you know? So I said, well, let's do a Polish night. Well, how do you do a Polish night? You go to the track superintendent and you say, well, the sign on the highway, which we always had, it said Buffalo Raceway, racing tonight, post time, 7 p.m. So I said, do me a favor. Could you change the sign where it says Polish night tonight and put the P on backwards, spell it backwards, Polish <laughs> night tonight? He said, what are you talking about? I said, please, do me a favor. So he did Polish night tonight with a backwards P. I ran up to the office, I called the Buffalo Evening News, and sure enough, I made the front page the next day. That's how you do promotion, okay? Then we had the Polish pace. I had horses, there was the sulkies, obviously, the drivers in the harness racing, go around the track the wrong way for the Polish pace. I went to the Buffalo Police Department, actually it was in Hamburg, New York. Hamburg, New York Police Department had one-way signs, and I put them on the backstretch. And we had the Polish pace going around the wrong way. And the winning driver got a salami. And that's what we did. Now, you do that stuff today in this politically correct environment, you go to jail. You really do. But I did it, and I lasted at Buffalo Raceway for two weeks, one pay period, and they transferred me out. Little did I know, and I didn't do my homework. It's my fault. I had no idea that Buffalo is like 75% Polish. It didn't go over that well. I would have thought that would have brought out a big crowd. You know, you could have I thought it was great. I, I, honestly, I thought it was ingenious. I really did. Well, I think a lot of the things uh, you, you, you've done has been genius. Uh, cor cor correct me on another one. It could be a rumor. It could be true. I, I, I understand. I think you were at a New Jersey track, and there was a, a National Undertaker's con Convention, and that you gave away a coffin? Yeah, I did that. I, I gave away a, a, a burial, a burial in a casket. I mean, that's worth something. It really is. I think that was at Monticello Raceway in Monticello, New York. I think it was. Funeral directors night. We invited as many funeral directors that I could find, had them come out, had dinner and drinks at the track, 
and we gave away to a lucky fan. I don't know how lucky he was, but really and truly, that's, a, that's an expense. And everybody's going to have to get one, right? A burial and a casket. And it wasn't there. We had the casket in the winter circle, and we gave it away. I mean, th- these are things that basically, you know, what people want in life, they want free gas. They want free groceries. They want a free funeral. These are the things you give away. You know, you go to a racetrack, they give away, like, magnets, balloons. Who the hell wants that stuff? We gave, we gave away stuff that people actually wanted and can use. Well, all right. Now, I also heard rumor, uh, I think it was to, to get uh, sheets to help the homeless, uh, but that you, you called it Ku Klux Klan night and – People that, yeah, showed up with a sh- people that showed up with a sheet got in for free. Yeah, this was a bad one. This was in 1980, believe it or not, Monticello Raceway, and it's documented somewhere on the Internet. I'm sure it is. I'll tell you what it was. I mean, you work in New York State, and they had off-track wagering. And it's very difficult for people to get to the racetrack because they could place a bet in a betting parlor. So we, we were at Monticello. We were very, very close to the Pennsylvania border. Well, what does that mean? Well, Pennsylvania did not have off-track wagering. So we did a lot of promotional work. In the state of Pennsylvania, I crossed the border, go to Scranton, Pennsylvania, East Stroudsburg, uh, and, and all those little towns in between, Honesdale, Pennsylvania, and go to the Rotary Clubs, the Lions Club, whatever it was, because those people basically, you know, had to go to the racetrack to place a wager, not like go to a, uh, an off-track wagering. So I, I would get the newspapers from Scranton, the Scranton Tribune, Scranton Times, and all these newspapers, and there was a series in the Scranton paper, I believe it was in August of 1980, about the KKK. And uh, and I'll never forget, the guy's name was Albert Lentz. I wrote him a letter. I said, let's have a KKK night, leave your sheets at home, and come to the racetrack for dinner. Well, I sent it out. I mailed it out to all of them. There's no internet back then. Made copies, mailed it out to every newspaper in the world, right? They ran it. And the New York State Racing and Wagering Board wasn't too pleased with it, so they took my license from me. You know as well as I do, you can't work at a racetrack unless you're licensed. So I was gone. You know, that was the end of that. And uh, my license was gone. And I lost my job. But, you know, there's always a silver lining. After I got fired, I mean, this was like in every paper, back page of the New York Post. It made scorecard in Sports Illustrated. I was getting phone calls from, like, different circuses, modeling baseball teams for jobs, whatever it may be. And then, as luck would have it, I got a phone call from Delaware North Company in Buffalo when they flew me up. And that's how I got started with them. Yeah, because Delaware North, they were, I guess, essentially initially uh, what would be called a concession company, but they ended up owning ballparks and racetracks uh, right. through their concession involvement. Now, but they, like you said, they had a lot of tracks and, and they moved you around. And uh, that's where I was blessed to, to, to meet you was when you were at uh, Latonia. And uh, because at that point, Delaware North was uh, very much involved in it. And, uh, you on occasion would bring me in. Uh, I was a young fledgling photographer, P- PR hopeful, uh, to do like the jockey of portraits. And one of my favorite events, and as far as I know, this is the first time it happened, was when you brought in Chris Collinsworth to race. I want to say his name was Mr. Reddy. Mr. Hurry. Mr. Mr. Hurry, who yes. was also 19. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Hurry. You know, I tell you what, it, it was, I mean, I'm sure. I think Jesse Owens raced a horse way back in the day, uh, but it hadn't happened in a while. And when I was at Monticello Raceway, I had Beasley Reese of the New York Football Giants race a trotter. 
And that that was ugly because it was the first time I did it. And when we had the photo finish picture, I mean, Beasley was nowhere to be found. So you, you kind of kind of planned it a little bit. So we had Chris, and Chris was real popular with the with the Cincinnati Bengals, and he raced uh, Mr. Hurry, who was Oakland 99, I believe it was at the time. Yes. And I think even when Chris did it, he didn't make the photo finish either. But you got it done at River Downs when we had Chad Johnson do it. And that was a hell of a crowd at River Downs, remember? There were like eight, 9,000 people there to see them, and he was great. He was so I, gracious after the race. She stayed for hours signing autographs, taking pictures with people. He was wonderful. And I think he, he said he won. He had a head start, but he said no, he beat no, the horse. No, he Remember did. that? Well, we timed it out, and we realized that he could run a 16th of a mile just about as fast as a horse could run an eighth of a mile. So we gave him a head start, but the way it was clocked, it, it, it should have been a photo finish. <laughs> uh, let me tell you, he was so friggin' fast. I couldn't believe I know. it. But, but, but like you said, yeah. he was very gracious. He went, he posed with all the guys on the Gates crew, uh, the groundskeeper, and stuff like that. And for some reason, ESPN was in town, Andy, and uh, they wandered out there when they found out about it. And right. I never would have pulled this off without you giving me all the connections. But so, Chad no, it was great. It was, it was great. I, you know, you, it's funny that you talk about stuff like that. You've had tremendous races at River Downs. You've been involved with big races. I've had the Jim Dean Stakes over at Latonia. But these are the things and these are the days that people who go out to the track, they talk about for years. That's what they remember. That's what they remember. They really do because it's people fun. Still bring it it's up. something they different. Still bring up the Chad race, and right. uh, it's, and so he goes, "Hey, uh, you got a cell phone?" He's warming up. He's warming up, and and I said, "Yeah." And so I give him my cell phone. He calls his mother, and he says, "Hey, mom, turn on ESPN. You're gonna see what's gonna happen." <laughs> and he and he hands the phone back to me, and I and I said, "Well, you, you warm up. You tell me when you're ready." And all of a sudden, he looked at me, gave the head bob. He says. I'm ready. Let him go. And he's looking over his shoulder to see when the gate opens with the horse. Because Patty Cooks, he was riding a horse. And right, boom. right. Oh, it was great. And you know the funny thing is, I mean, the more we get involved with sports, the more it's turned corporate. It really has. I mean, you probably can't pull that off today. I wanted to do it, you know, when John Ross was signed with the Bengals. Supposedly he was a speedster. And this guy doesn't even play for the Bengals. I mean, he can't catch football. So he might as well go off the track. He might as well race a horse. And I thought maybe him and Chad would race together. You can't. These guys are unapproachable. They won't do it. Or if they do do it, they want money for it. That's the thing. And it's amazing. He, like with Chad, he, I think everything was, was donated to charity with him. Yes, it was. It was. He, he was working hmm. with the uh, uh, African uh, charity uh, to right. feed the children or to build a right. hospital. Right. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, feed yeah. the children. That's exactly right. Yes. It, it was it was great, but like you said, Andy, you know, I, I got all the, his. Some of his handlers says, "Look, uh, uh, Chad can only sign fifteen autographs. Um, he can, uh, you know, uh, very limited." So anyhow, we meet in the VIP lounge, and I said, "Well, uh, there's a very large restroom there if you want to, you know, change into your clothes." He goes, "Well, no, you got a locker room, don't you?" I said, "Yeah." He goes, "He goes, well, I'm good." I'm an athlete. So he goes in there. Well, the, the jockeys just descended upon him and right. they had footballs, they had jerseys and he signed every single one of them and could have cared less. And then after he races the horse, he, you know, they came in because of course we wanted all the winter circle uh, pictures for a promo. And, uh, Chad looks at the, the outrider and he says, he says, I know how to ride a horse. Can I ride your horse? And <laughs> right. Kim, right. 
Tim Jordan jumps off. He jumps on the horse. Well, obviously his legs can't fit in the stirrups, and he just kind of rode the horse bareback around the Totally unrehearsed. It was fantastic. But Andy, that never would have happened without you helping me. Oh, but he's the perfect guy. I mean, you, you don't get guys like Chad Johnson anymore. He's just, I mean, he's, he's talking about playing in Major League Soccer. I mean, the guy's, the, the guy's a wonderful human being. He really is. I mean, uh, he got a bad rap a little bit because they thought he was too much of a showboat. That's what sports needs. That's what they need. They really do. You don't need guys like, you know, I'm reading about now, James Harden doesn't want to play. You know, Kyrie Irving doesn't want to talk to the media. You don't want that stuff. You know, you want a lovable guy like Chad Johnson. Well, Andy, I want to ask you now, you've put so much energy and time into the sport of thoroughbred racing, and uh, then you transitioned uh, to radio. Most people don't know. And you probably won't take the credit, but you're the guy that schooled Chris Collinsworth into talking about sports because you had the number one sports talk show in the Cincinnati market, which is huge to three states. And then you brought on Chris. I remember listening to the first show. I always listened to you. I would wait at the track. And then right about, I think you came out about six o'clock or something. I would get in right. my car and drive home and listen to sports talk. And I would listen to you and Chris was kind of bumpy and he took, and you coached him beautifully and hell, we know where he is today. Uh, but you need to take credit for that. Well, you know, I, I will say this much. Em, I don't know what I did. Maybe he just saw what I did and it worked, but he has gone many a time and told people that, that I've really, you know, kind of showed him the, the ropes. So you got to be, you got to have kind of a wicked tongue. You really do. I mean, but not nasty or, 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 you know, picking on people, but you have to be honest. You can't hold back. You can't be worried about what someone's going to think about you because 50% of the people will love you. 50% of people will hate you. And that's it. You have to have big shoulders. And look, he, he's getting some heat now. I mean, what was it last, last Wednesday when Baltimore was yeah. playing in Pittsburgh and he said something about women love football in Pittsburgh. They, people were killing him. What did he do yeah. wrong? He didn't do he's anything wrong. To compliment him. Yeah, right. I right. know. It, I, all right. Now, Andy, they're, they're giving me the flag here. I got about two minutes uh, left. Oh, uh, no, no, right. it's one minute. But <laughs> number one, thank you. But number two, in a minute, what, what can we do or what can radio do to realize that racing's a story? How do we get on the air? You know what? I don't blame the media. I, I blame the, the people that work in racing. Because when I worked as a PR guy in racetracks, I considered it more of a sport than a gambling operation. What do I mean by that? I kept statistics. I made a media guide. I mean, you have seen it at Latonia. I had a media guy with records and stats. And if you have stats, stats sell. What sells to the media? I'll tell you, it's a secret, but I'll let you know because you're my friend. Superlative sell. First, last, best, worst. That's what sells to the media. And also, obviously, human interest stories. But if you have a superlative to sell to the media, they'll buy it. He's the first jockey to do it. Hey, when, we, when I was at Latonia, what did we have? We had the first mother-daughter jockey to race one another. What did we do? We got him on Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show. That's what we did. Well, Andy, I, I, I got to call you back because you're, you're such a pleasure to have on, but uh, I'm up against the clock here. Uh, say hi Thank to Wendy you. and the boys for me, and please so uh, stay in touch. Stay in touch. We got I certainly history. will. All right. Happy All holiday right. to you. All right, Andy Furman from Fox Sports. I want to thank uh, Todd Shrupp from TVG. And I want to thank so many people that make this show go, especially our producer, Josh By Gosh. I'm John Engelhart. Happy holidays from everyone at Winning Ponies. 
Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. We hope the information from today's show will benefit you at the next post. Join us for more insight next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Also, look for our weekly newsletter. Have a great week, and may your photos always be winners.